In Psalms chapter 37, I'd like to share with you verse 23. Very familiar verse, familiar to everyone. You'll know it when we read it. Psalms 37 and 23, New King James Version says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. I want to read that same verse, but out of the New Living Translation. Psalms 37, 23 said, The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Now as we go down to Isaiah chapter 45, we want to look at verse 2 and 3. The first, I'm going to read out of New King James. <coughs> what the Lord said to Cyrus, his anointed, I will go before you and make the crook places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who calls you by your name, am the God of Israel. Now, I want to read those same verses through New Living Translation. They said, this is what the Lord said to Cyrus, his anointed one. This is what the Lord says, I will go before you, Cyrus, and level the mountains. I will smash down the gates of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you treasures hidden in darkness and secret riches. I will do this so you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who calls you by name. I want to preach and teach this morning on going back to a message I preached about two weeks ago, and it's on GPS, God's Positioning Service, Part 2. And I believe that God's going to do something in our hearts this morning. Do you ever feel like that every time you try to move forward in something that you hit a roadblock, that you feel like you just come up against something that stops you in your tracks and you just can't go forward. Something happens to throw you off course or to distract you from achieving the things that you feel like that God wants you to achieve in life. I want you to be encouraged this morning because right now in your life, God is going before you. God is ahead of you. He's not behind you, but He's ahead of you. He hadn't forgot who you are. He hadn't forgot where you're at. He hasn't forgot what you're going through. He knows every circumstance that's surrounding your life. Matter of fact, He's making your crook places straight and your rough places smooth. You may be going through a difficult time right now, but it's not the end. It's only the beginning. I want you to say that with me. The rough time I'm going through is not the end, but only the beginning. God's got great things for you. You see, you may feel like you're in a dry season, but don't look at your circumstances, but look at the promises of God for your life. <coughs> God has equipped you for the journey. He has plans for you. God doesn't set you up and, and call you into doing something or anoint your life to walk away from you and drop you in the hardship that life may bring. 
If you'll keep speaking words of faith, God promises that he'll anoint your head with oil and your cup will run over. And with his favor and with his blessings, that means that you'll be refreshed. You'll be anointed to do what he's called you to do. God is preparing your path, equipping you for the journey, and he has laid out things of blessings to come upon your life. I believe with all my heart this morning uh, that God's got a plan uh, for you. I believe that God's got a plan for me. I believe that God's got a plan for this church and for this ministry. And I believe it's a plan to flourish uh, and to prosper and to go forward and to be uh, effective uh, and to reach souls for Christ. Uh, I believe with all my heart that there's times uh, when God strategically places us uh, in certain positions uh, to line us up to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. I believe there's times that he specifically puts us in certain positions. And for the next few minutes, I want us to look at some examples of how God helped his servants of old as he strategically positioned them and placed angels to help and to protect them and how there's certain times when God himself will show up if he deems it necessary to assure our success in accomplishing the things that he wants us to do. I want you to open your heart and your mind this morning as we begin to share these stories of old. The first thing that we want to look at is God positioned Paul and Silas in a prison cell so they could lead the jailer and his family to Christ. When you go over in the book of Acts in chapter 16, you find this story that starts out in verse 25. By, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, and so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep, seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. And Paul called out with a loud voice and said, do yourself no harm for we are all still here. And then he called for a light, he ran in and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And he took them that same hour of the night. He washed their stripes and immediately he and all his family was baptized. When you go back in the beginning of this chapter, in, verse, in, in chapter 16, you find how this story really began. We find that there was a certain slave girl who was possessed with a spirit of divination who brought her masters a lot of profit because she had the ability to be a fortune teller. She began to tell people things about her life. Her 
masters exploited the demonic powers that was working through her and it brought much money and much gain into them because she was doing the job of a fortune teller. But now this girl began to follow, follow behind Paul and Silas everywhere they went. And as they, she followed behind them, she was crying out to them and to everybody that she came in contact, this phrase, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Here's this girl, she's going behind Paul and Silas as they're walking through the marketplace, as they're going down the street, as they're heading from one shop to the other, going from one destination to the other, as they're entering into the temple for the reading of the word. Everywhere they went for many days, she followed behind them and she declared these are the servants of the Most High God that declares to us the salvation of the Lord. And every time that they would go into a place this is what she was crying out you would think well that's pretty flattering got somebody going around introducing us everywhere we go declaring who we are and what we are it's kind of like an introduction of setting us up but that's not the way that Paul took it Paul became greatly annoyed with her he became upset it got on his last nerve It bothered him. And so in the last moment that he could stand it no more, he turned and he looked at her and he commanded for that spirit to come out of her in the name of Jesus Christ. And he came out that very hour. This girl was delivered. But when her master saw that their hopes of profit was gone, They seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. They drugged them in for delivering this girl from a demonic power. (coughs) Now her masters wasn't worried about her welfare. They were worried about the money they were losing. They were worried about not being able to make money off of her anymore. And so when they brought them into the authorities, they told the magistrates that these men have exceedingly troubled our city. They teach customs that are not lawful for us to receive or to observe. And then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and had them beaten with rods. Man, they they got a beating because they set a girl free from a demonic spirit. How in what an injustice that is. What a tragedy that is. But when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison. And they commanded the jailer to keep them securely. And having this charge put on him that it, by the magistrates, he said, well, I'm gonna, I've got to put them in a place where I know they're going to be secure. They're not going to be able to escape. They're not going to be able to get out. So he took them and he put them in the inner prison, and then he fastened their feet with stocks. He put chains around their ankles. He said, surely that'll hold them. But then there comes Midnight. But then the midnight hour rolls around and Paul and Silas, they're not complaining about the stripes they got on their body. 
They're not complaining about the chains around their ankles. They're not complaining about being unjustly accused. They're not complaining about being thrown in the inner prison. They're not complaining about anything that had happened to them. But at midnight, God's plan started falling into place. And Paul and Silas started praying and singing hymns to God and to the other prisoners that were in the cells next to them. They started having church. They didn't crawl in a corner and they didn't have a pity party and they didn't decide I'm mad at God this week and I'm not going to go to church and I'm not going to pray anymore and I'm not going to trust God anymore. I'm mad at Him today. I'm not going to believe in Him anymore. I'm going to just take a sabbatical and I'm not going to trust God anymore because He let this happen to me. That wasn't what they did. They said, we're praising God because even though we've been through the fire, even though we've been through a beating, even though we've been through things, God still has a plan. God still has a purpose. The jailer was asleep. And as they began to sing songs and they began to pray at midnight, the Bible said that there was a great earthquake that happened through the city that affected the foundations of the prison and the foundations of the prison were shaken and every door in the prison sprung open. But not only did the doors spring open, but when the shaking happened, the chains fell off. When you start shaking the heavens, things start begin to happen. When you start singing and praising God in the middle of your storm, in the middle of your battle, when the devil's done told you a thousand times, you didn't have anything to praise God about. You didn't have anything to worship Him about. Why are you singing? Why are you worshiping? Why are you lifting your hands? You're sick. You're fighting a battle in your body. You're going through hell on earth. Why are you praising God? That's when they wanted to praise Him more. That's when they made up their mind, I'm not going to give up on God. I'm going to glorify the Lord because even in the midst of my problem, even in the midst of my controversy, even in the midst of my battle, even in the midst of my report, even in the midst of my bad news, I'm going to praise God because without Him, I'm nothing. Without Him, I have no hope. But through Him, I know I will be victorious. The chains fell off of their ankles. The doors sprung open. Now, through all this turmoil, the jailer that was there, that was keeping watch over them through the night, fell asleep. But he woke up when everything started happening. He woke up out of a dead sleep. He saw the doors open. He said, oh, my God, I have done messed up. I went to sleep on the job, and everybody in the prison has snuck out and escaped and I know that when daylight gets here and the king finds out what I did he's going to have me executed I might as well go ahead and take care of the job now and not give him the chance and he drew his sword out and he was about to take his own life but yet Paul said with a loud voice he said do yourself no harm we're still all here we hadn't went anywhere Then he said, bring me a light. 
I got to have a light. There's sometimes that we don't realize how much in darkness we are until God starts shaking things. And then when God starts shaking things, we realize the darkness that has tried to hover around us and we start calling out to the light. And the light is Jesus. And the light is the Lord. And the light is God. And He said, I need to have a light. i got to have a light brought to me. And then he sprung in to the cell where Paul and Silas was and he fell down before them trembling. He knew that there was a divine intervention of miracles that was taking place right there in that prison. And then he said, Sirs, he said, what must I do to be saved? What have I got to do to receive what you got? You've been beaten today. You've been thrown in prison. They put you in my care. I put stocks on your ankles so you couldn't hardly move. And you've been limited on even how much you could move around in your cells. And yet you're still here. Even though you could have escaped, you could have took my life. You could have overcome me. You could have killed me. You could have broke out of the prison. But you didn't do any of those things. You sat right where you were put by the Lord. It's hard for us to sit where the Lord puts us sometimes because sometimes God puts us in uncomfortable situations and sometimes it don't feel good and sometimes it don't fall into place like we think it should and sometimes we don't think that it was fair it was done to us unjustly and God you just let this happen to us and we, we've been good Christians all of our life we've done everything we need to do and we, we've done our best to serve you and you let this tragedy happen in my life and I, I just can't believe you let this come upon me like this after all these years and all this time sometimes we don't like where God puts us because sometimes God puts us in uncomfortable situations. But Paul and Silas didn't escape where God put them. I believe in the back of their mind they said, We know that even though we've had many stripes laid on our backs and we were beat with rods, even though we did a good thing for this young girl that we delivered from this demonic spirit and her life is going to be better than it was and she's going to be delivered and set free and she's going to be whole in her mind and her body and in her spirit from this day forward. Even though we did the right thing and we've been punished for it, we're still trusting God no matter what. We're still believing the Lord no matter what. We're still going to sing songs. We're still going to praise Him. We're still going to magnify God because He He's the one that gave us the power. He's the one that anointed us to do it. He's the one that put us in the right spot and gave us the word instant in season to speak over this young girl. And he gave the power that set her free. And who are we to get mad at God? I'm not going to get mad at him. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to sing songs to him. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to lift him up. <coughs> Because no matter what happens to me that seems unfair, I know that I'm in the center of God's will. It's hard to go through a sudden tragic thing or a storm or a battle and keep the faith that you're not out of God's will. They could have said, well, if we were doing the right thing, we wouldn't have been beat with rods. If we'd have been doing the right thing, we wouldn't have been thrown in prison. 
Maybe we need to go back and question the Lord and see what we need to be doing. Where would we veer off the track at? I got news for you. Just because you're going through a storm don't mean you failed God. Don't mean you veered off track. Don't mean that you've took a wrong turn. You just happen to be strategically placed in a certain position that God wants a certain outcome to come out of where He puts you and you've got to give it time to mature and come to fruition so that it will come to pass. And it's not going to be comfortable where you're at. Sometimes God doesn't let us be comfortable. God puts us in a place of uncomfortableness to see if we're going to trust Him. Paul and Silas trusted him. The jailer came in, said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, You must believe upon Jesus as the Son of God. And they began to declare Christ to him. And he accepted the Lord and got saved right there in that cell that night. The Bible said that then he brought them out. And he took them out and he washed their stripes. He ministered to them. He brought healing to them. He ministered aid to their body. And he fed them. He took them to his house. He gave them and prepared a meal to them. He took them out of the place that he was fearful that they were going to escape. He took them out of there and ministered to them. Lifted them up. Encouraged them. Blessed them. Brought healing and, and, and took care of their body. Filled them with a meal. But then the Bible said not only did the jailer receive salvation, but, he, but it said the jailer's family got saved also. Paul and Silas was put in the position of being in prison, beaten with rods, had chains put around their ankles, falsely accused, put through all kinds of torment and embarrassment, but yet it was for a divine purpose that God had in store for them at the end of their journey. Some of you have been chained to your circumstance. Some of you have been in a cell six by six and you feel like that you've been limited to what God really had in store for your life. And there may be even some of you that feel like, hey, I've served God for 20 years and now I'm going through this torment and I'm going through this sickness and I'm going through this battle and I've been faithful. I've been a tithe payer. I've been a church member and I'm not talking about just by name. I've been here every time the doors is open. I've paid tithes every week. I've been faithful. I've served in positions. I've served on boards. I've held responsibility. I've done everything I know to do, and I'm still going through the tragedy, the tragic thing that come upon my life. God's got a plan for you, and God's got a purpose for you, and you just hang on. God's going to bring you out better than you were when you went in. God's got a purpose. He's got a plan for your life. God's got things that He wants you to do. He puts you in the position you're in to not only help you grow, not only help you mature, but to let you know that there's going to be things that's going to turn around, that there's going to be things that's going to happen. You see, God took what seemed to be a severe injustice that was done to the disciples and He turned it into an opportunity to witness and lead the whole family to salvation through Jesus Christ. I want to say this to you this morning. Let God turn your bad situation into an opportunity for God to do a great thing through your life. Let your bad situation be turned into something good as God works through you.
The psalmist David wrote in Psalms 30 and 11, he said, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. I was sad during the night. I was heartbroken during the night. I was alone during the night. I felt depressed during the night. But in my mourning, you turned my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. You turned things around. I got something for you this morning that's going through things that feels like you're in sackcloth and ashes and you can't get up and you can't go forward and you're limited on what you've got to do and what you can do. I got news for you. Let God turn your bad situation into an opportunity for God to do something great through you. Don't let the devil make you bitter. Don't let him make you angry at God. Don't let it destroy your faith, but trust God in the midst of your storm. He said in Psalms chapter 5, verse 11 and 12, But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous with favor. For you will surround him as with a shield. I'm glad that we have a God that will defend us against those who try to harm us. But he also will put his shield of protection around us to block the attacks of the enemy that tries to destroy us. I'm glad to know that God's got a divine purpose for me even in the midst of uncomfortable situations. Not only does God strategically place us in positions to accomplish the tasks that He wants us to do, but God strategically places angels around us to protect us from the attacks of the enemy. When you go over in the book of Daniel in chapter 6, you find the familiar story of Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. So the king gave the command and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke to Daniel, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, will deliver you. And then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of the lords that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. And now the king went to his palace, and he spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him, and also his sleep went from him. And then the king arose very early in the morning, and he went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried, out with a loud voice to Daniel saying, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said, King, he said to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angels and shut the lion's mouth so they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. And now the king was exceedingly glad for him and he commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. And so Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatsoever was found on him because he believed in his God. You see, when you really begin to examine this story, you go back to the beginning you find at the beginning of chapter 6 that King Darius set over the kingdom 120 mayors. 
He said, the kingdom is too large for me to oversee alone. I'm going to set mayors in place, and I'm going to put them over certain sections of people. And so he selected 120 mayors to help govern the kingdom. And then he set three governors, of which Daniel was one of them, that would be over the 120 mayors. So he put a rulership in place to help him rule the kingdom so that he was not wearing himself out, making all the decisions for every sect of the people, but he had a mayor in place that would help make local decisions. He had a governor in place that would help that mayor make decisions. And then if there was anything they couldn't handle, they could bring it to the king. So this is where he was. Well, it didn't take long till Daniel became the favorite of the king. It didn't take long till Daniel was favored over all the other governors because he had an excellent spirit. He had an excellent attitude. The king had thought even about putting Daniel over the whole region, over all the other governors and everything. Well, this made the other governors and the other mayors mad. Sounds kind of like a political battle, don't it? They all got mad because Daniel was favored by the king. So the other mayors and the other governors sought to find some kind of charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they looked and they searched and they couldn't find anything to find anything out about Daniel. They, could, they searched, they put the CIA, they put the FBI, they tried to find all kind of dirt on Daniel they could find and they couldn't find a thing. They said, well, we've got to come up with something. He may look clean as a whistle, but we've got to conjure up something. So these men being so determined, they went to the king and they said, king, they said, why don't you make the decree that for the next 30 days that no man is supposed to call up or petition any other man or any other God for the next 30 days, and if they do, they're going to be thrown in the lion's den. Well, the king said, well, I guess I could do that. If you all think that's necessary, I could do that. So the king wrote it up in a law. He put his signet ring placed in it to seal it, to make it law, that it could not be changed. Well, then the governors and the other mayors headed right out toward Daniel's house. And when they got there, they heard Daniel praying. But not only was he praying in the morning, but he was praying at lunchtime, and he was praying late in the evening. He was praying and petitioning God three times a day. They said, oh, we got him now. We got him now. I know we got something on him now. They rushed back into the presence of the king. They said, king, did you not set a decree that there would be no other man throughout the, the kingdom that would call or petition upon any other person or any other god besides you? Did you not make that agree? He said, that's the truth. I did. It's got my signet ring seal on it. They said, well, we hate to inform you. Right. But your other governor, Daniel, has been petitioning God not only one time a day, but three times a day. Now, what are you going to do about it? Oh, the king knew then there was a plot. There was a skunk in the woodshed. There was something going on. 
that wasn't right, but he couldn't do a thing in the world about it because he had done wrote the decree in law and he had done put his seal or his signet ring on it and it couldn't be changed. He said, go get him and bring him before me. They went and got Daniel. They brought him in. They throwed him into the lion's den. But as he was about to be thrown in, the king looked at Daniel and he made this declaration. He said, oh, Daniel, the God that you continually serve will deliver you. And they threw him into the lion's den. It wasn't what the king wanted. The king favored Daniel. That's what got Daniel in the situation he was in because the others were just jealous over the favor the king showed toward Daniel. But he had to go through with the law. They threw him in the lion's den. The Bible said the king went back to the palace. He wouldn't let them bring any dinner in. He didn't eat any supper. He fasted. He didn't let any musicians come in to entertain him, to bring joy to him. He didn't do any of that, and he didn't sleep all night long. He walked the floors of the palace thinking about what Daniel was going through. He couldn't wait for the early morning hours to get there. He knew that there was something. He couldn't wait to get there. I've got to see the daylight hours get here because I've got to go see if Daniel's all right. Finally, the sun began to rise. The daylight hours hit. He takes off toward the den. He gets there. He said, oh, Daniel, the one that serves the living God, has your God delivered you and has he protected you? And old Daniel hollered back and he said, O king, live forever because the angel of the Lord has been sent and he shut the lion's mouth and they have not hurt me and they've not been able to even lick me. I've not had one hair on my head disturbed. As a matter of fact, I laid down last night, curled up on one of them and made a pillow and went to sleep. I'm all right because my God never fails, but he come through in the midst of the trouble, in the midst of the turmoil, in the midst of the thing and when he said that the king said I want you to get him out of that den I want him delivered out of there now raise him up get him out the Bible went on to say in description that they could find nothing wrong with him or no harm done to him whatsoever upon his body but then when the king had seen Daniel was delivered he said, I'm still king, and I know that there's been some skunks in the woodpile, and now I'm about to feed the lions. And he had those that had plotted against Daniel brought in, and they threw them into the lion's den. And the Bible said that their bones were broken, and they were devoured before their bodies even hit the floor of the pit because of what had happened. I'm here to tell you, the devil may roar like a lion. He may seem like he's got all power and all authority. He's got you trapped. He's got you in a position to where you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. You don't see an antidote coming. You don't see a cure in your, for, in your forecast. You don't see anything good coming. But God said, if you'll just trust me, I'll dispatch my angels. If I need to, I'll send them down there and let them do war for you. I'll let 
them battle against the enemy. I'll let them fight your battle for you. I got something to tell you this morning. I believe that God is dispersing angels in the middle of some of your situations. I believe that God is dispersing angels in your bedroom. I believe he's dispersing angels when you go to the doctors for your treatments. I believe he's dispersing angels in the midst of your sleepless nights. I believe that God has got an angel watching over your shoulder and he's not going to let the devil destroy you because he still has a plan for your life. I believe God's still got a plan. Don't count yourself out. Don't count yourself gone. Don't count yourself over. Because God says, I'm not finished yet. It's not over yet. I'm not going to give up on the Lord. For I know what God can do for me. I know what the Lord has in store for me. You see, the psalmist wrote in Psalms 34 and 15, he said, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. He said in verse 17 of that same chapter, he said the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. He said in verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. There's nothing that has come upon your life that God can't deliver you from. Somebody needs to claim the power of God. Somebody needs to give him praise because there's an angel fighting in your spot today Isaiah 54 and 17 said no weapon formed against you shall prosper in every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn because this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord he said in Isaiah 59 and 19 in part B of that verse when the enemy comes in like a flood the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him because God is still in control of your life You see, not only does God strategically position us in certain places so we can line up to accomplish what He wants us to accomplish, not only does God strategically place angels in our path to help protect us and to fight our battles, but if need be, God Himself will show up to help you accomplish what He wants you to do. You say, oh, that sounds good, Pastor, but I just don't know about that. Where do you find that in the Bible? Well, hang on, we're going there. Acts chapter 9. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And he asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were in the way, or in other words, believers in Jesus declaring the power of God, whether they were men or women, he might have the authority to bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Jesus showed up in person. He said, I'm not sending an angel. I'm not strategically placing a disciple there. I'm going to handle this one myself. I'm showing up. So he trembled and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? 
And then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. And then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. He was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Here he is, left headed toward Damascus. He had letters in his pocket giving him authority to arrest Christians. Bind them hand and foot, bring them back before the magistrates at Jerusalem so that they could be put in prison, they could be beaten, or their life could be, they could be executed. He thought he was doing a service for the church. He thought he was right. But just happened on the way, he had an encounter of the close kind. As a light shined around him, it wasn't E.T., it was Jesus. There was a finger that touched him, but it knocked him off his horse. He looked up, and he said, Lord, who are you? What's going on? Jesus said, it's me. It's Jesus, the one whom you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against God, ain't it? But then he did something that I believe God knew that it was going to take a divine intervention of him personally to make happen. Saul said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now, I know that he had not been into a church service yet. They had not been three songs sung. There had been three songs that had been, uh, had been sang yet. There had not been a sermon preached. There had not been an altar call by a minister. But I believe when the light shined around him and by the time he hit the floor and looked up and said, Lord, who are you? I believe he was saying there's a higher power and I need him to find out who he is because I need him in my life. And the Lord began to talk to him and told him, he said, when you arise, go into Damascus and you'll be shown what you need to do. But when Saul got up, he was blind. He couldn't see anything. He had to be led into Damascus by the men that was traveling with him. And they took him into a house on the street called Straight. The Bible went on to say in that story that there was a man that lived there that was in the town that was named Ananias. And the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Ananias, I need you to go over to the street called Straight. And I need you to go into a certain house. And there's a man named Saul of Tarsus there that is praying. And I need you to go pray for him. Now I can know, I can imagine what Ananias thought because he described it in the word. He said, now Lord, I've heard a lot of things about this man called Saul. And I know how much harm he's done to the Christians at Jerusalem. I know how much damage he's done to the body of Christ. I know how much pain he's inflicted. I know how many lives he's taken. I know how much he's been involved with. And are you sure you want me to go over there to this house on the street called Straight and pray for him? And the Lord told him, said, yes, said, he is a chosen vessel of mine. I've laid my hand upon him because he's going to be the voice to the Gentiles, to the kings, to the priests, and to the nation of Israel. He has been chosen by me. How could God choose somebody like that? 
How could God choose somebody that's got skeletons in their closet? How could God choose somebody that ain't perfect? How could God choose somebody that's got a, 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 got a, got a list of failures in his life? How could God choose somebody that would be involved in murdering people? The Bible talked about that Saul was there when Stephen was murdered. And Stephen was stoned to death. How could God use somebody like that? I got news for you. God's mind and God's thoughts are higher than ours, and God knows things about people that you and I don't know. God didn't put us here to be the judge and the jury over everybody. God just put us here to declare the word. It ain't our job to declare who's worthy and who's not. It ain't our job to declare who's right and who's wrong. It's not our job to say, well, this one's worthy of the calling and this one's not. Because if the truth was known, if the light had been shined on our life when we first got saved, would none of us be in anything doing anything for God because wasn't none of us worthy enough? Because we'd all sinned. We'd all made mistakes. We'd all failed God. We'd all did things. There was things in our life that was probably terrible, but yet God saw something in us. He said, I got a plan for that young man. I got a plan for that guy. I got a plan for that woman. I got a plan for them. I don't care if she's been a prostitute. I don't care if she's been a drug addict. I don't care if he sold drugs. I don't care if he was a pimp. I don't care if he was grown up on the poor side of town. I don't care if he lived in a one-room shack. I don't care if he never had a bank account because he never had enough money to put in the bank. I don't care where he come from. I don't care if he was a abused as a child. I don't care what he went through. I don't care if his mom and daddy was Christians or not. I don't care what happened to him. I have chosen for this moment, for this time and he's a vessel of mine. I'm glad God does the choosing of the vessels he uses. I wouldn't have made the cut if he hadn't. I wouldn't have made it. But as the Lord continued to talk to Ananias in this dream, he said, I need you to go over there. He said, he's praying. That's the other sign that Saul was making a turn in his life. Saul had a, a repentant heart. Saul had a heart. He had done had an encounter with God and saw and felt something he had never seen or felt before. Some of you sitting in this service this morning have already felt something in this service you ain't never felt before. You ain't never felt the love that you felt when you walked in these doors. You ain't never felt the presence of the Lord that I felt when I walked in this house this morning. Some of you sitting here ain't never felt the, the unity that you feel among this body of believers. Some of you ain't never felt a preacher that'll come back and shake your hand and don't think he's up here and everybody else is down there. I'm just an old country boy. I was talking to, to Jessica and, and, and Dwayne and, and Nancy and them a while ago, and they, they said, well, we didn't get to, Nancy and them said, well, we didn't get to come last Sunday night, but we watched you on TV. I said, well, good. I'm glad you did. I was in Cracker Barrel over in Gardendale last week coming home from a doctor's visit with Marie, and we went and ate lunch, and after we got through, was headed back home to get the kids from school and stopped off to eat, and I'm up there paying our bill, and a guy walked up behind me, tapped me on the shoulder. I didn't know who he was. I turned around. I said, yes, sir. I said, can I help you? He said, you're on TV, aren't you? 
I said, yeah, I, I, our church has a TV program. I'm on a couple of times a week. And he said, I watch you every week. He said, I love your preaching. He said, we just have a blessing out of you every time you preach, every time we turn you on. I watch you every week. I said, I thank you so much. I appreciate that. I said, it's never been my desire to be a TV preacher. I said, we just want to bless people, and we want to encourage hearts. And we know there's some people that might not get to be a part of our services, but we've got something to say that God put in us that I believe will be a blessing to you and will encourage your heart. He said, I'm blessed every time I've turned you on and just keep on preaching. I said, well, you do this. I said, if you really want to be blessed, I said, come on over to the area of Dora Summerton right in behind Summerton to Empire and meet my folks. I said, if you'll meet my church, you'll really think you've been blessed. I said, because I got some great people over there. You need to come and be in church with us live. God puts us in positions that we never thought we would ever be in. Here's Ananias saying, man, I don't want to go over and pray for this guy. I know what he's done. But the Lord said he's praying. And he's already saw a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him that he might receive his sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. God already had the plan lined up. He said, okay, God, I'll go. He goes over, knocks on the door, goes in. He says, Saul, brother Saul, I'm here to pray for you. My name's Ananias. And the Lord that appeared to you on the road to Damascus has appeared to me in a vision and told me to come lay hands on you that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he laid hands on him and the scales fell off of his eyes. And he received his vision and he was baptized in the Holy Ghost and dwelt there in the city with them. God had a plan. Now later we know that God changed Saul's name from Saul to Paul. And he was one of the most powerful men of the New Testament besides Christ. He led the disciples. He was a general in God's army. Would he have been the one that the people would have chose? No, probably not. Would he have made the cut if the people had a chose? No, nope. they wouldn't have chosen him. They would have said he ain't worthy. He's nothing but a murderer. He's got, a, he's got faults behind him. He's got a list of mess-ups. You know, it just amazes me how many times we've run into people that's been saved for a little while and they think just because they've been saved they ain't never messed up. They forget that they still have a closet with their name on it, and there's all kinds of stuff in there. God's just merciful and gracious enough that he don't open the closet up, marry it out to everybody. God strategically showed up on the road of Damascus to change Saul's life. But just as determined as Jesus was to show up and appear and let Saul hear his audible voice, he was just as determined to provide salvation for every man, woman, boy, and girl that would be born into the earth. He loves us so much. He didn't look at our faults. He didn't look at our mistakes. He didn't look at our failures. He didn't look at all the things that we messed up in. 
God has went to great lengths to give us an opportunity to have salvation, to be able to spend eternity in heaven with Him. The Bible said in 2 Peter 3 and 9, He said, The Lord's not slack concerning His promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. There's not any person born or breathing upon this earth that God wants to die and go to hell. He died on the cross that you might have salvation. He said in John 3 and 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He said in John 10 and 10 in part B and then in verse 11, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Paul wrote in Romans 10 and 13, he said, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It didn't say I've got to do an interview. It didn't say I've got to run a background check. I've got to see how much baggage you've got in your, in your past. I've got to see how many mistakes you've made. I've got to see how many sins you committed. He didn't say any of that. He just said, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God doesn't care where you've been, what you've done, or what's happened in your life. It doesn't exempt you from the plan of God. He said in John 14, verses 1 through 3, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. But if I go, I prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. God's been planning for a long time for your arrival in heaven. He's been preparing a lot of things for you because He loves you that much. And do you know that if God has invested that much in you and He's made all these preparations in heaven, that God's not going to just drop you because you made a mistake? God's not going to drop you because you wasn't obedient. God's not going to drop you because you didn't honor with what you should have done in a certain situation. John 14 and 6 said, Jesus told him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way except through the Lord. No matter what you're facing today, no matter what challenges or obstacles are in your life, He will make a way for you even when you don't see how a way can be made. God can do the impossible. God loves you so much that He wants to strengthen and empower you to live a life of total victory and total power. That's why He sent His Son Jesus to the earth to show you the way to live an abundant life. I encourage you this morning to open your heart today. Receive all that God's given you through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Don't let the devil count you out. Don't let him cancel your blessing. Don't let him cancel your calling. Don't let him void you. He doesn't have the power to void your life. 